The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou, tēnā tātou katoa. Welcome to Gone By Lunchtime. Big thank you, first order of business, to KiwiSaver Scheme Simplicity for sponsoring our politics content on the spin-off. They're the sponsors, but they don't endorse any of the stuff we say, especially not the things that Annabelle Lee says. Hello, Annabelle Lee. Kia ora. Um, uh, and hello, Ben Tom. Oh, hang on a minute. That's not Ben Thomas. Hello. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> listeners. Uh, ben Thomas is not available. Um, he's in Wellington, his favourite place. And so we thought what we'd do is have a surprise guest from New Zealand's leading Fun Times podcast, Real Pod. Um, so a real star, but unfortunately neither Alex nor Jane was available. <laughs> <laughs> so we've gone for Duncan Grieve. Hi, Duncan. Hi, hi, and I've um, got to, like Ben Thomas, declare a conflict as regards the ACT Party oh. uh, this week. Oh, oh. I was the recipient of a, a, a personally autographed and dedicated copy of uh, Own Your Future, David Seymour's latest. Um, so, you know, everything I say about the intricacies of ACT policy uh, on this I'd podcast, like, you'd I'd have to... You know, understand that, that that's the, 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 the backdrop. Duncan, like, what like did the dedication it. say? It said... It's, uh, I, I think it said something about that this should be on the spin-off or this would go well on the spin-off, something wow. like that. Oh, wait. Oh. Hang on. Ben? Yes. <laughs> we've, we've called up Ben. I'm sorry to cut you off there, Duncan. I was actually going. I needed to happen. Um, we're just talking about David Seymour's new book, Own Your Future, which we've got a copy of in front of us. But you can't talk about that because you're conflicted. Can you, Ben? I'm, I'm conflicted. I, but I, I look forward to listening to the pod. Um, how's Wellington? Um, Wellington is freezing. Um, it is. It's extremely cold here, but everyone's on a kind of, kind of St. Petersburg war footing. Mm. Um, <laughs> I was down here last. I was down here last week, shortly after we recorded "Gone by Lunchtime," and just about where I am right now, I ran into Patrick Gower on the morning of TV3's Poll of the Decade. Oh yeah, um, carrying <laughs> incredibly <laughs> explosive. <laughs> incredibly explosive, carrying the most gigantic bag of carbs I've ever seen to get him through the day. Um, what kind of carbs does <laughs> Patty said I thought you said carbs, and I was imagining <laughs> these kind of squirming baby cows in a big sack being carried by the TV3 political editor. I, I feel like once the red mist sort of descends on them further into the campaign, that'll be kind of what they're feasting on through the day. Mm. But mm. At, at, at this stage, I think mainly just like noodles and chips. Mm. Um, and have you got any hot takes on um, the politics? 
I, I've, 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 I've got so many hot takes, um, but I think I'm going to like freeze to death on the side of this Wellington Street. Mm. So I just, I want, I want you and Annabelle and Duncan when you when you attend my funeral to tell everyone I was right about the Greens' leadership all along. Oh, don't let people forget. Yes, this is Ben Thomas, um, the biggest Chloe Swarbrick booster in New Zealand. He, you know what he says? They go low, we go close. <laughs> <laughs> All that's left to say is it's your birthday today, isn't it, Ben? It is. I'm extremely old. Should we sing? Happy, Happy birthday, birthday to you. you. Oh, it's cutting out. You're cutting out. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, um, Duncan, you wanted to talk about David Seymour's book. Um, you sent me a message on our internal Slack. Very confidential, confidential message. You did also last week invite all of Twitter to at me in all of their takes on what was going on in the election. Which I just thought you'd want to know what, what people were thinking. Right? Which does mean that all of so your Slack correspondence is now in the public domain. And what you said this morning when I woke up and read it, and you sent it at 5.30am, that you were 55 pages into 65. David 65 pages into David Seymour's book. How is it so far? Um, I really enjoyed the foreword by uh, Stephen Jennings, mm. um, who, who I just think I, I uh, quite like him. He's a sort of raging, um, you know, conscience of New Zealand business with his Russian billions. Mm. Um, David Seymour's book, it, it starts off with a really nicely observed anecdote about um, the rural urban boundary, uh, which, which I always like. Mm. And it's... I mean, I, I, I powered through it. I think I woke up about 3.30 and in an hour read a third of its pages. Um, it's, it's, it's more readable than, than I anticipated. Mm-hmm. Why, why don't you just, just pick a passage? Oh, do you want to pick a page, um, uh, Annabelle, anywhere from... I like the page about the, his trip to, to Waitangi. Oh, okay. Does it have an index? No, it doesn't. Uh, it's index. not the most well-subbed... Um, it does look a little bit like, no disrespect, I'm very grateful for my copy, but it does look a little bit like it was printed out on one of those Macintosh inkjet printers and then shrunk down from A4 to A5. It was definitely finished recently. There's, like, there's things that happened it's in May and topical. June, I think. It's hot it? and topical. Yeah. Did you get a copy too, Toby? I did. This is my copy. Wow. This is my copy. I didn't get a it's copy. It's the first ever piece of mail to have been addressed to Duncan Grieve and Toby Manhire, um, which was quite... Is oh. that true? I'm glad that you're monitoring this yeah, so carefully. That's so sweet. Um, oh, let me read this, but this, is, this, is, this, looks, <clears> this <throat> looks hot. End ruinous lifestyle choice. Benefits can't be seen as a lifestyle choice. Like any kind of dependence, what starts as a choice can turn into a compulsion. A long time on a benefit can sap initiative and atrophy skills. And as discussed above, it can be ruinous for children in those homes. I don't know why I did it in that voice. I like the voice. I should have done it in um, David Seymour's Canadian voice, you know, which... Oh, from that famous YouTube clip um, that you're one day going to write about. That I'm one day going to expose. Anyway, look, let's leave that for now. I'll give that to you, Thank Annabelle. You. Something for you to read in the bath tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, we, again, have had a lot of going on in the politics. Um, last time we were in this room, Mitsuria Ture was still the leader of the co-leader of the Green Party. She was. Shortly afterwards, there was a poll but there were, and there was some um, stories being put together by by the Herald and by RNZ, uh, which involved family members reportedly 
saying that her story wasn't quite what she said it was. How did you... What were you thinking watching all that go down, um, Annabelle? I felt very sad watching it go down. Mm. Very sad. I think um, Matidia's made an incredible um, contribution to Parliament. She's been an icon for Wahine Māori, particularly Wahine Māori that have had to struggle um, to achieve. Um, I think that... um, her downfall represents the loss of, of another voice um, missing from Parliament. Her and Hone Harawera were the, you know, played an important role of reminding people of Te Pani, Mete Rawa Kore, mm. our most impoverished and our most vulnerable. And we lost Hone, of course, of a couple of years ago. Hone, who wanted to feed the kids. Not a bad idea, in my opinion. And now we've lost um, Matiria today at a time where there's never been more impoverished and vulnerable Māori. So I think it's a real loss and certainly not something as a Māori, as a wahine Māori, as a descendant of Kahungunu as well, certainly not something that um, I'm celebrating. Do you feel as though she was treated fairly by her opponents and or the media? I don't think she's been treated fairly, no. And I don't think she's been treated fairly because I think everyone's entitled to have a past. I think people should be allowed to have made mistakes and to try and rectify them. I think, as other people have said, if Parliament is a House of Representatives, you need people that come from all sorts of different backgrounds and life experiences. I think that comparing her actions to that of Bill English, who was a sitting... Um, member of parliament at the time who was earning a huge pay packet um, at the time that he was also collecting a $900 accommodation allowance through the smarts of his lawyer um, is not a fair comparison to a young woman struggling to put herself through university as a single mother on a benefit. Um, I think some of the media commentary that... um, Mertidia um, is not perhaps poor enough to have um, championed that issue because she never had to resort to things like prostitution is frankly a ridiculous question in comparison. So I, I, I personally don't think that Matidia is being well, well treated or fairly treated. But I also think that the Greens really balls this up big time and I would wonder if there's any soul-searching happening in their hierarchy around how they played this out and whether or not it was a smart strategy because in my mind they've lost their secret weapon or one of their most valuable weapons which is Matidia who has this um, 15 year track record of, of, of very good service. I wonder if perhaps there was some naivety on Matidia's part because she had never from, from what I can remember, really been embroiled in a political scandal before. Perhaps she didn't realise how hard the media would come after her and pursue her. Mm. Um, but I think, again, as I've said in previous podcasts, if they were going to run this strategy, they needed to have it really clean and tidy right from the start. She needed to have already met with ones. Mm. She needed to have a number of specifically how much it was that she owed. She needed to pay it back. She needed to say, I'm sorry that this happened, but it was, I felt at the time, something that I was forced to do. And it's something that I've, you know, tried to um, make amends for. I've paid it back and I've served 
New Zealand as a representative for 15 years. So I think well, because those things were missing, um, it's ultimately spelt her downfall. And the thing I suppose to remember, because so much has changed in such a short period of time, is that it wasn't that long ago that the Greens were struggling to get any traction. They said in an interview with the spin-off earlier this year, James Shaw and Matilda Turdo said that in the last election they'd calculated that they'd had 1% of the media coverage of the election. They knew they had to do something to get the, become the dreaded cliche, to get that cut through. Um, oh, that's my phone ringing. I hope it doesn't go on here. Um, to get that cut through. Um, and, and that was the decision they took. And they themselves say it was a risk. They knew it was a risk. I mean, maybe they, maybe they even knew it was a long shot. Um, but they decided to do that. Well, it's fine to take gambles and it's fine to take risks. But there is such a thing as risk management. And it appears that there is absolutely zero risk management going on. And I don't know if that's because Matidia was insistent that the strategy be run this way or if she was just really poorly advised by the people around her but um, I think there's ways of taking a risk without like literally having it blow your hands and face off which is what's happened here. And they sort of have a problem now Duncan in that they they are now in a post-metaria uh, reality and they relaunched the campaign on Sunday um, without metaria present. Um, she'd been removed from the new campaign ads. She's gone from their being removed from their billboards. You know, even looking at their Facebook page now, the banner has a picture of all the Greens um, uh, without Metadea. And yet, she's also in many ways still their, I don't know, is talisman overstating it? She's also one of their main mechanisms by which to run their campaign. They say that on the doorstep, uh, people still want to talk about that. Um, Lots of the billboards have got love hearts for Metiria today on them. I mean, it's a difficult position they're in now to, on the one hand, say we're over that and we apologise for it, and on the other hand, hang on to it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the things that's quite difficult for them is that, you know, if, if they only got 1% of media coverage going through the last election, and this one, if you consider the campaign to have started proper with, with her speech, which it kind of felt like it did... Um, they probably, you know, had as much as any party, maybe maybe more than any uh, party, potentially barring Labour um, for their own spell, which which, which Materia caused. Yeah. And um, but all of that was about her, and yes, she was a divisive figure, and you can argue about why that was. But it it made her the heart and emblem, and yeah, totally the talisman of of the Greens. And now they just seem a little hollow. And um, you know, there's the sort of you know, James Shaw, who comes across, you know, who's done that sort of assiduous courting of business and presented him, himself as a sort of a, a policy guy, been there fronting um, alongside Grant, Grant Robertson on finance announcements and so on. But Materia was the heart, you know, and the empathy and the, um, and, and that just, there is just a bit of a void there. And no one else in Greens has that kind of prominence. And it is going to be difficult for them to recover from that sort of psychic break that, that, that mm. they represent. I mean, the thing they did, I went to the, to this reset on uh, Sunday, which was a slightly odd affair, in which it was, as I say, that kind of um, both uh, trying to move on, but also there was a certain sadness, almost, almost a funereal quality in, in some mm. sense. And, and James Shaw did his best with his 20 top list MPs behind him to present a face of um, 
you know, they were trying to be upbeat as far as they could, and but but you could feel and understandably that people have a certain sadness and what they've done. The thing they miss out on when you see a very different scenario, but when you see saw sort of little go, then you get this uplift. Whoever it had been would give a boost. They've lost someone, so they've 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 suffered the setback from that, without having the opportunity to put someone new in to say here's a new face, and they've sort of instead gone for a three-part semi co-leader odd arrangement um, with uh, Julian Genta and uh, Eugenie Sage and Marama Davidson Annabelle who mm. is the closest thing to a kind of and she's, she's, she's overseeing the poverty part of it she you know Metzeria Ture was very much her mentor um, do you think that Marama Davidson has an opportunity to sort of step up and is she, is she, is she the one who can who can achieve that? Well, we had a panel on the hui on um, just over the weekend and all three panellists who shared differing views about Metzidia and her demise all, yeah. all agreed that um, Marama Davidson would be uh, the best um, replacement for her to step in as, right. as um, co-leader. Just coming back to this, the... the you know the the demise of Mativia. It makes me wonder why did the why did she resign? Why did the Greens let her resign? Why would you not take a play out of you know Nationals book and do what they do with people like Judith Collins or Nick Smith and kind of send them to the to purgatory for a year or two and then rehabilitate them? I don't know why that didn't happen, perhaps Matidia didn't want it to, I'm not sure, but it seems silly that you would waste all of that institutional knowledge that goes with Matidia and mm. just get mm. rid of her altogether. Perhaps that's something she's wanted, I'm not sure, but just coming back to the commentary around James Shaw too, you know, in the last couple of weeks it was said a lot, oh, you know, poor James having to front for Matidia and she's smiling and he's having to front up and ask all the answer all the hard questions which I thought was interesting because they're co-leaders that's what co-leaders do mm. they back each other up but interestingly when it came to Matidia's predicament it was almost like James was being cast as a victim of her her poor greedy behaviour which I thought was really interesting and just in terms of some of the commentary around yes she was receiving a lot of support from the grandparents well that's really subjective because from a Māori world view getting a lot of support from your grandparents means that they're whāngaiing your kids and bringing your kids up on your behalf picking your kids up from kōhanga or running them to daycare is not although greatly appreciated and wonderful and how Māori wouldn't be considered substantial support. And, um, and the fact too that there was all these rumours of stories that were going to come out, but yet no one was willing to put their names mm. to it. They were yeah. all anonymous sources. No compelling evidence was ever provided. And I just wonder if there was perhaps some unconscious bias at play where, although Matidia was refuting what was being rumoured, Nobody kind of really believed her, and the, despite there being a lack of evidence to the contrary. So, mm. just some interesting observations, I think. I mean, it wouldn't have the the from checkpoints' point of view, they would say we put the questions to her and wanted to hear her answers, and they would they said they weren't going to broadcast them without her responses. That's they? right, but they also said that they hadn't been able to verify the yeah. claims that had been made, and I wonder too, like. Pew Pew is still her daughter, and Pew Pew's 
father is still Pew Pew's father and Pew Pew's grandma. So you're sort of put into a bit of a, an impossible position, aren't you? Like, what are you supposed to do? Come out and say that your child's family uh, are lying? And, you know, who know? we've never heard from Anne Hartley on this. We don't know that Anne Hartley agrees with, with those rumours either. So this it's is a the, very the, un- the grandmother of the grandmother of, of Pew Pew. So it's a very yeah. MP. So yeah. it's a very unusual situation yeah. because no one from the Hartleys has actually come out and said that. Mm. Mm. That's kind of where I think it goes to your point about the management of it by the Greens. Like it does feel like she was, you know, some sort of sacrifice to it and that there was this incredible degree of scrutiny which is entirely predictable. Um, and that neither sort of some of the tonal kind of how it was articulated but particularly you know you needed to to protect her family as much as anything um who you know Meteoria she's kind of she signed up for it to some extent Mm. she's co-leader she's in parliament and she made that decision she may well have made it in consultation with the family but all of the kind of collateral damage that was, was flowing down to them that sort of seems like it played a big part in the ultimate um you know in, in what her decision to resign um you know depending on whether you you know who you think won the the battle over with a checkpoint or, or the poll did which was i think as you correctly noted toby one of the most unseemly parts of it mm. but um you know that that sort of failure to kind of manage and anticipate and then protect um both their mp and and the, the, those associated to the story, adjacent to the story, was you know has been kind of horrific to watch in a way. Yeah. Look, one of the results of all all of all of that um, hogging the headlines, um, a, along with the attention that Jacinda Ardern has attracted, was that um, the National Party seemed a little bit lacking in their own spotlight, which could be part of the reason that they came out over the weekend with a. Interesting policy, which was described as boot camps um, for bad young people, um, although they didn't like that term. It came, in fact, there was on the Saturday there was an announcement for electric vehicle for the full government fleet to go electric vehicles, which seemed going was that in a one full, direction. Full fleet or was that a third of the fleet? I thought there was some kind of. It was a poor. I, I, I think like they couldn't go full electric. Oh, I think you might be right. Yeah, yeah, you might be right. Big pardon. Um, thanks for the fact. You see, this is the kind of level of scrutiny that, that we... <laughs> it was <laughs> gone by lunchtime. <laughs> um, I just feel like you can't imagine, like, a whole national fleet, you know? Like, it just... Uh, I don't feel like that plays well in the provinces. You can imagine, like, the... Yeah, yeah. The urban electorates, maybe. Um, <laughs> moving swiftly along, uh, then on the next day, there, were, there was the, the, this um, crime justice policy, um, which included, A, this... Uh, military academy for the 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 worst youth offenders, and b curfews for children under the age of fifteen. I think out between mm-hmm. the hours of whatever it was one and um and that was at five a.m. Thank you, uh, Duncan. Um, the the um, bringing the sort of level of attention to detail that you get on the real pod, which is available on all spin-offs podcasting platforms. What did you Thank make you. of that, Duncan? There was um, it seemed a little bit retro. It seemed a little bit like um, it's revision you know, to me. It's uh, classic hits national party. Yeah, and I think that's what you know. There's been this like theory, um, and I think quite well evidenced theory that national have colonised almost the entire political spectrum over the past nine years, just doing kind of half a policy in almost every direction. Mm. And Labour's re-emergence and essentially re-announcing policies which they've 
had for a while, but everyone's suddenly been quite excited about them because they've got a new sort of face to them, has forced National to kind of realise that they, you know, that this isn't promised to them, that they've got a real fight on their hands, and, and there's been some sort of revision to mean, I think, about it. And, uh, you know, there's... Um, I, I do think that uh, that policy, and we might see see more like it. David, uh, sorry, Toby just kissed <laughs> David Seymour's face on on the cover of his book, and I, I don't know apropos of what, but it was it was quite it's a the, moment. Madeline, Madeline just passed it. Is it getting hot? It's steaming up. But um, you know, and I, I think that that you know, like, like I went to the to nationals, um, you know, things we're bragging about our weekends, uh, not mm. the weekend just gone, but the one before I went to Nationals launch of their Auckland Transport Policy mm. and was surprised I think by how uh, you know, just the, the ethnic diversity on show and particularly the the amount of um, Indian and Chinese representation. The Chinese um, National Party has this wing called the Blue Dragons, which I'm trying to get a story on unsuccessfully so far but um, and when, when One News uh, announced the, the boot camp Story, which you know hasn't been particularly well received by social media that I've seen. You had a lot of um, you know Indian uh, community leaders saying that finally someone is listening to them about the violence problem, which has been, you know, crime has been going down, but sort of extremely violent crime as as um, affects their community mm. um, has has been going up, and I wonder if that's part of it as a sort of okay the 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 what the available voters pool is sort of changing and, and you know this was a, a very cheap and, and relatively small way of, of accessing some of that pool This is a play to people who live in places like Kaiko here, Annabelle where there are you know the weekly robberies of bottle stores and the sense of the, the whole kind of feral youth thing it's mm-hmm. going gonna, gonna, gonna to resonate with some people isn't it? I think it's comprehensive verification that National is all out of ideas when it comes to tackling Jacinda so they've had to make a big lurch to the right and pull from their old um, um, bash the Maori playbook um, is my reading of it in terms of... Um, Why is it bash the Maori? Because um, Māori will be overrepresented in the body of youth that they're talking about. Um, it's dog whistle politics. This, along with the um, with their rebuttal of Labor's water policy, but in terms of this one in particular, it's shown already domestically that it doesn't work. That you get massive reoffending. Um, internationally, it's shown that it doesn't work. It's been condemned by Andrew B. Croft. Personally, um, I saw. Bill English described them the other day to Jack Tame as murderers and rapists. I prefer my murderers and rapists not to be militarised myself Mm. um, as a rule of thumb. Mm. Um, I'm sure it will appeal to people that live in Kaikohe and dairy owners that are having their their, um, shops burgled regularly and often for cigarettes and so on, but... Um, To me, it just seems like real bottom-of-the-cliff reactionary dog whistle kind of politics. If you're serious about helping these kids, perhaps have an inquiry into the history of state abuse of um, our children in Sifsky, and most of these kids that will be going to those boot camps would have been in Sifsky at some point. Are these army people experts in social welfare and caring for at-risk youth? Who knows? 
Um, so to me, it's real sort of bottom of the barrel politics. It definitely didn't feel like it had had like a long gestation. Like the, the there wasn't a lot of detail there. No, and even down to like the fact that like, oh, how will you keep them in? Oh, it helps that Wairuru is is a long way from anywhere, so it's, it's a long walk, a long and cold walk out. It's the kind of idea that we like to that we that we, that we sort of almost romanticise, though, isn't it? That when 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 the kids are being really terrible, we send them off to the rough, you know, to the, to the they they pull up their socks and finally learn a bit of tough love. Of back of the hand and that's you know it's a sort of old-fashioned kind of it's exactly idea what, it's exactly what they thought they were doing it in places like Epuni and Kohitere and right. all it does is grow gangs and um, your prison population but the difference with what with Bill English is that he's an evidence guy right I mean he's he he is proudly and genuinely into using evidence, research, evidence-based policy. Social investment is the best example of that, isn't it, Duncan? So this does seem, in terms of this, but also the um, curfew thing, which I think he acknowledged there was no evidence for at all, does seem like a, a, a diversion from that path. Yeah, I mean, like I, I interviewed him for, for the spin-off in March, and, um, you know, I think when, when, he was, when he speaks about social investment, it does seem to come from a very genuine place um, but some people don't like the name but I think it's hard to argue with the stated intent whether you buy into it or not um, and that that's what's quite surprising about this policy and, and the fact that, that English himself was fronting it uh, that it, it does seem a sort of a disavowal of that to an extent and even the fact that they didn't you know, there wasn't evidence lined up. There was a sort of, we know there's no evidence for this, but what else are you going to do? You know, I'm, I'm re-watching The Sopranos at the moment, and, uh, you know, AJ just finally really, I, I think he's, he, he sort of smashes up the um, the trophy cabinet and, and they piss in the pool. Mm. Sorry for my more indelicate listeners at, at having to hear that. But, um, you know, uh, Tony and, and Carmelo decide that he's, he's got to go to military academy, and that, on a sort of, you know, a um, a kind of a macro level is is what this policy is, and and did it work on the spread? They they AJ cried a bit much, and and they brought him back. So um, can't we, AJ. We, we don't know. We don't know yet. <laughs> well, the thing too is you're waiting big... for the next episode. Is that what you're saying? Well, no, no. I mean, AJ hasn't grown grown up yet. And I mean, it's just my second run through, but I'm trying successfully to forget okay. what, what, what went on elsewhere. But you know, based on what happened to Jackie and what I know I can't forget happened to Christopher, I just feel like I don't have great hope for AJ. Well, potentially, you know, there's a place for, for, for boot camps for perhaps unemployed youth who voluntarily decide to go because they want to learn some discipline or they're genuinely interested in a career in the military. But to round up these kids who have serious issues um, and, and send them off to boot camp just seems like madness. And, and again, English said, look, we want to give it a go. You can't experiment with the lives of these of children. It's far too dangerous, and particularly these kinds of kids. So, you know, what is it, 92,000 youth not in employment, education or training? How about starting there and finding something, you know, good for them to do rather than um, sending kids off to Wyodu, um to learn how to shoot guns. The other thing you mentioned in about a moment ago was water policy um, and that's been an interesting, you know, we are getting into a bit of chunky policy at the moment. Oh, and I will say, I will break here since we say policy to mention uh, policy NZ, which is on the website, the spinoff.co.nz, Duncan. 
Are you excited by that? I'm very excited by that. This no. is kind of a promo, really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we need to play that sort of like baseline that they do underneath advertising on proper podcasts. Uh, maybe you could thrum How one. How does it work? There we go. So, so these kids approached us like six months ago, not even actually, three or four months ago. They wore suits, they were very young, and uh, I was frankly very doubtful about whether they could pull off anything remotely to the scale that they were planning in that time. I backed them from the start. <laughs> That's not true. I've got the private messages. Um, but they absolutely did, more than. And uh, now at policy.thespinoff.co.nz, there is the most monumental... Uh, Body of work. It's like 30,000, 40,000 words. It's All, bloody great. It is. It's great. Former salient editors. Yeah, well, I saw Henry Cook shouting out the class of 2014 or whatever. It's yep. just, it's, it is cool that, like, because we've had a lot of personality politics, we've had a lot of personalities changing at the head of parties and so on, just to have what they all stand for. And the fact there's quite a lot of common ground between the parties you wouldn't expect, quite a lot of sensible stuff. You're like, oh, this is quite, it's quite nice. It's almost in the heat of the, the Twitter rhetoric that we were discussing before we came on air just to see some, some of what they're actually trying to do ostensibly is quite nice mm. I thought um, have a look at it uh, it's what is it what's, I mean look at just look at the spin-off policy.thespinoff.co.nz um, it's a really difficult URL it's, it's really have you looked at it yet Annabelle? Oh, I woke up first thing this morning and just trawled mm. for hours mm-hmm. and really had to just wrenched myself away from it to get the did kids you, ready Did you watch stuff. the video on it? Did you like the video? Yes. There's no video on it, Annabelle. Yeah. Oh, oh my gosh, this is a scandal. This could break the hooey. <laughs> Annabelle Lee and Annabelle okay. Who's our sponsors again for this program? Simplicity. I love them. <laughs> love them too. Yeah. Um, uh, water. Water. Water policy. Uh, Labour, uh, David Parker, who loves his water, loves his water policy. Mm. Does David Parker. Um, uh, that was released which involves a royalty going on irrigated, uh, irrigation source water. Um, Federated Farmers didn't like it at all. National Party didn't like it. Michelle Bogue didn't like it very much. And I think she said that, what was, what was the, can anyone remember what the number was? She said that cabbages were going to... 18 bucks. $18 a cabbage. Yeah, apple, apples. Apples are going to cost you a small fortune. I feel like $18 cabbages, there is no market for an $18 cabbage. Like, they're just... You know, you don't You've got to move out. Got to move out of cabbages, though, aren't they? If you're a cabbage farmer, it's it's like maybe it's the new avocado, the most the most boring comparative item in, of all time. Millennials get really into cabbages. That would be you cabbages are controlling. You can offer me a two cent cabbage. I'm still not going to buy that cabbage. Oh, you're just cabbage not into cabbages. Is Fuck a cabbage. The devil's food. Yeah, I'm with it's you. Not really? Right. Yes, it's. Just, there's no I place just, for cabbage in about, a civilised society. What about in a, what about in a really finely chopped coleslaw? A to really be good fair, slaw, but if it really has to slaw. have like uh, lots and lots of really delicious dressing to cover the fact no, that it ever made coleslaw. exactly, but then and lots the, of carrot and apple in it as well. Okay, I'm backtracking as well. The like when you get like a quarter cabbage with a lot of sesame sauce, like yeah. even raw sesame the, sauce. That, on oh, anything. the sort of chagra. Yeah. That's what you get in your posh no, Kingsland places, no, isn't no. it? No, so no, no. Like get like, um, if you can recognise that it's a cabbage, then if it's it drained, be served. you know, you do not, ladies and gentlemen, get this con- con- content on Caucus, the RNZ podcast. <laughs> you do not. There's um, actually a lot of politics podcasts now, and I'm, li- I'm listening to all of them. Yep. Inside Parliament, yes. Dirty Politics. Oh, we, I've only listened to a few seconds of that, but because they, had, um, but it sounded good. Simon Lusk was, he was on the Skype from Hastings. Can, I couldn't can, understand what he was can saying. Can you do a Simon Lusk impression for us? <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no. Um, water. 
<laughs> we were talking Gallant. about Delicious water. water. Yeah. Um, uh, la, 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 la. And then the national response to that was so partly partly was the, was the um, uh, five hundred dollar Brussels sprouts, and then it was what was the headline? It was in the Herald on Monday. And about can you um, remember? It was now what treaty, was treaty, 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 treaty. <laughs> yeah. It was treaty warning over Labour's treaty water tax. Treaty warning over Labour's That was the splash. Tax. Front page of the Herald. Yeah. Guy <laughs> Williams didn't like it very much, but we won't get into that. Um, what did Guy Williams say about it? Oh, he just it, there's been a terrible uh, flame war on Twitter about um, whether or not the Herald is the devil or he's a um, naive buffoon. To me, it felt like a dog whistle headline again. You know, the greedy Marys are coming for the water. To, that's my read of it. It was an interesting one. So it was clearly, I mean, it was an exclusive, a Sunday for Monday exclusive, and clearly it had been um, served up to the Herald um, and. Uh, Chris Finlayson, who's 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 pretty broadly respected, I think is that fair to say, Annabelle? He's been considered a, a very, um, yeah. I mean, yeah, he's well respected among among Maori. Yeah. So until that headline came out on Sunday. Right. <clears throat> so what was he trying to achieve there? Because I mean, and, and to some degree, he's right. Of course, of course, of course, it affects the treaty. Doesn't I it? think it's more about how it, how whether or not I suppose it affects the deal's already done. Right? I, I think that, you know, we've just seen the Greens make a big play for the left. Everyone's been fighting over the centre ground for ages and has all started to meld into each other. The Greens made a big play for the left and then it exploded. Jacinda became reigning queen of the Labour Party and now they're up in the polls. So now we're seeing national right, lurch back to the right, circa hollow men, but slightly more refined. So it's not iwi kiwi kind of stuff. It's things like, you know, what's the headline again, Toby? Treaty... Treaty warning over Labour water tax. Now, if we can negotiate things like the TPPA and multilateral agreements on investment and you know emission emission trade schemes and all of these highly complex things mm. why is it so hard to negotiate a treaty settlement with Maori over water and why is it something that we should all innately be scared of and tiptoeing around? It's not going to cost anyone anything out of their pockets. It's not like Joe Boggs down the street isn't going to be able to buy their coffee or buy a bottle of milk or whatever they need to do but it's the right thing to do and it needs to be done and the Supreme Court has already said that at some point while it's parked up for now this issue will inevitably have to be dealt with so why not do it now, and why the sort of scaremongering around it? I just think that it's, um, um, again, um, we see Māori become fodder for the election. Yeah, it's, it's funny, because eh? oh, like, I want to believe that Chris Finlayson's a good dude as well, both because he birthed baby boy Ben um, a number of years ago this day, um, mm. but also... Because he, you know, and he writes for the Spectator, and he seems like somehow a level removed from certain elements of the of the National Party that can get unseemly. He doesn't seem to ever get involved in that. Mm. And you know, he didn't write the headline. And I think if there's this sort of gap between how it might play and how it was sort of delivered, like because I feel like you could read that, um, you know, Finlayson statement as. Watch out, Māori! This is um, for for sure, and she bought seabed all over again, mm. and with the same same party coming nominally with benign interests, but to to essentially nationalise something that that you have a claim to. 
but because of how it was sort of framed, not necessarily by Finlayson, that it would, that it, um, it, you know, it does kind of raise the, the spectre for the fearful middle, middle New Zealander who expects um, kind of Māori coming for everything that's not tied down. Um, that you know that that's a way it might be read, and it, I guess it comes down to whether you sort of you know what what the the motive was, and I think unfortunately you're you're probably right in the sense that it was a calculated second run at the issue from national after figuring out the 18 buck cabbages no one likes cabbages no one's worried how much they are after they played that and, and it hadn't really worked and after they'd gone 70 dollar bottles of chardonnay everyone's like come on um that, that this was was their second run at the issue i guess maybe it was deftly played by finlayson and that his the precise nature of his words didn't necessarily seem to um you know be unequivocally uh, you know, arguing that not in the same way that like an Oruwa speech was, for example. But uh, if that's the way the campaign does head, and if it becomes more nakedly that way, then I think that that would be a profoundly unpleasant thing for for us as a nation. Mm. Um, but what is water is shaping up as a as an election issue, isn't it? I mean, it, 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 in in one form and another. Well, water usage is yeah. Water usage is shaping up as is an issue and you know has been for quite some time with the outrage over water bottlers you know mm. a, um, getting access to some of our most pristine water and selling it for a small fortune overseas but up until now Māori rights to um, to water hadn't so much been a certainly amongst Māori it was but not within mainstream New Zealand it hasn't been an election issue until until well, it's this. a perception that that's why it's been left alone, in part, because that's seen as a political powder keg that, that people want to leave well alone. Just let's not get into it, despite mm. the fact that it's... Putting it into the too hard basket right. thus far, but, right. you know, again, at some point it's going to have to be... Water, you can't put water into a basket. It's, not mean, into just, a kete either. It's, it's, it's going to pour everywhere. <coughs> um, before, we, before we wind up, um, another potential resignation coming out of this election, albeit circuitously, um, is the Deputy Prime Minister of Australia. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, Barnaby Joyce. Barnaby Joyce. Somebody, no somebody said, might have been Edgler who said that he sounded like a character out of a Lindley Dodd picture book. He really so, does. So, of course, he's got to have a New Zealand connection. He does. Um, and... There's a, the, the, for those who haven't, haven't seen it, that's because it turns out he's a New Zealand citizen, probably, um, which is because his, his dad. dad, James Joyce, uh, is, a, was, is from Dunedin. He's a dirty old Dunners <laughs> Even boy. though he was born mm. in Tamworth, and he's as Australian as they come, um, he was his dad, because his dad was born in, in, in Dunedin, in New Zealand. Uh, anyway, um, so Duncan... Don't look on your phone. Are you taking, <laughs> you're taking a photo. Um, you know, David Seymour in that photo? This is falling apart. This podcast is falling apart. It's never like this with Ben. Ben keeps us on the straight and narrow. Um, uh, anyway, the, but, but, but part of that is um, because it's this, this weird quirk in citizenship law combined with a weird quirk in the Australian Constitution that means that you can't have dual citizenship if you want to stand for federal office. Um... Duncan, there's a suggestion that Chris Hipkins may have been involved in this in some fashion, Chris Hipkins being the Labour spokesperson for education. Yeah, it, it sort of doesn't look right. Like, it's a hilarious story, like, don't get me wrong. It's, it's kind of my favourite thing that 
is happening to Labour like after they've spent the last few years getting increasingly like fuckwitted in yeah. terms of how they behave toward New Zealanders um, that the fact that like these kind of traces of New Zealand ancestry have started to evict an increasing numbers their members of parliament that is real cool yeah. um, <laughs> But the and, and, and if it could bring down that government, because this guy's the deputy prime minister with a one seat um, majority, like that, that would be you know, quite a spectacular little um, you know message in a, a bottle from our sort of mm. deep, deep mm. past. Mm. But as far as Hipka's uh, role in it, um, it, it just I think that there is something as as you know someone might have been you Toby said that there's a little bit of a kind of uh, excitable student politician about it like this was a um, a really you know a juicy story but it wasn't necessarily you know it, because it was he was interfering sort of essentially on behalf of the Australian Labour Party yeah. it, it's not very grown up and diplomatic just and, and he has been reprimanded by a Dan. So even though he didn't, you know, nominally didn't cause this. It thing. seems as though Fairfax Australia inquiries are what triggered the investigation by Internal Affairs, which ruled that yes, he was uh, an Australian citizen. Have you been following this excitedly, Adabel? I see. You, you oh, I, saw, I saw a little bit of it. Get rid of him. I What's that noise? I would. I would suggest Jose, but he's not in the building. Oh, okay. Someone's sounds like someone's slapping a brick wall with a jandal. Mm, oh, that, that could be more of a Don Rowe thing. Sorry, Annabelle. That's okay. No, I just said he, she's got to go. You can't have a New Zealand fan. It's outrageous. Out. Out. There is a vacancy. Um, I'm in his kids. <coughs> Co-leadership co of the Green Party. You heard it here first. That's gone by lunchtime. Thanks, Duncan, for sitting in. It's been it's been fun. Thanks, Mad, who's back from a hair raising adventure in the Solomon Islands, where she nearly died. Um, are you going to relate that story on a different pod? I don't, I'm not on any pod. I'm not on any pod. She said, yeah, you... Well, you, you I thought we might get you on your real pod just to tell that story, because it's a hell of a story. Um, so tune into the real pod for that story of um, the Mad, Mad Chapman's near-death experience. Brush for death. Woe and daring doe. Um, and we'll continue with our own hair-raising experience of the New Zealand election 2017 oh, on the next Gone by Lunchtime. Kia ora e te iwi, Te Butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spin-Off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.